I'd like to turn to a passage of uh, scripture in the epistle to the Hebrews. One verse of that chapter has, uh, the chapter I would like to read with the Lord's help has received some attention lately, a lot, a lot of attention because of the circumstances we find ourselves in. But I would like to read the whole chapter. It's a lengthy chapter. It's Hebrews chapter 10 because I would like to see and maybe not even particularly focus on just that one verse, but the whole context, the whole counsel of God's word. And, and in that, in doing so, I think we can understand more of God's <clears throat> instruction and his particular purposes. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, 
for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose he, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I've read the entire chapter, uh, ending with verse 39. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So as I said, uh, this is a lengthy chapter. It's actually the longest so far in, in, the, in the book of Hebrews. And um, if you take the time to, to study this book and to consider it, the chapter, the chapter divisions are very apt. Um, part of it is because the whole uh, structure and purpose of this book. It is really one long, in, uh, someone has once said, a long extended sermon, uh, probably the best sermon that you will um, ever hear read from this pulpit. And it is uh, one sermon with one goal and one aim and one intent. And chapter 10 is kind of the culmination of all that has gone before, a whole series of arguments of how Christ is better. Christ is better than angels in chapters 1 and 2. Christ is better than Moses, chapter 3. Christ is better than, than uh, rest, the Sabbath uh, rest. Um, he is that rest in chapter 4. Chapter 5, the, he's better than the Levitical priests, the, the, the Old Testament uh, priesthood. Um, chapter 6, he's, he's the promise of Abraham. Chapter 7, the same thing, that, that, that his priesthood, that's the pattern after that Melchizedek priesthood, it's better than the, 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 the priesthood of the, of the um, 
the Levites. Chapter 8 is, is um, his new covenant, how, much, how it supersedes and surpasses the old. And then chapter 9, this is kind of the, the final, um, because really after chapter 10, he, he um, not moves on, but kind of goes on a different tack. Chapter ten talks. Uh, chapter nine talks about the tabernacle in the Old Testament and how Christ is better than that. That tabernacle was very restricted. The access, how the priests they could only go in once every year, um, the high priest, and uh, uh, it was a fear and trembling sort of thing. If he did anything wrong, his life was was on the line. But um, as we just read here in chapter ten, now we can enter boldly. But now in chapter ten, he he kind of has one final picture in that Christ is better series of arguments. And that argument is that Christ is the better sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice. It's, a, it's an argument that began in chapter 9, um, verse 12 here, where he talks about uh, his own blood he entered into the holy place and, and how um, this New Testament that he is, is enjoined in his blood, as he spoke in that, that last supper, um, how that New Testament is so much better but now in chapter 10, kind of all the way up to verse 17 or verse 18 is really the end of that. And then he moves into exhortation and, and um, you know, knowing all these things, brethren, knowing all these things, hold fast your profession, draw near. To God, and that's kind of the, the summation of all the, the the argument that's gone before. And then this particular, the verse that I was alluding to at the beginning here. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And, and we've um, heard something about that verse in in these restricted times, and uh, it's caused me to examine that verse and examine, you know, are we being just disobedient or um, uh, not fulfilling God's word, and. Uh, I don't want to make any statements or come across as saying what we're doing is wrong. I don't think that's uh, the case. I think we, it's, it's appropriate to be obedient to the authorities in, in the situation. It seems to be a temporary situation. I, I don't think it's, um, at least on the face of it, it's, it's active persecution of churches. Um, but the flip side of it is, is the, the casual attitude and the... Um, the, the subtle messaging, which Satan is behind, that church is really not important. That we can just go on what we're doing, we can live lives isolated, and we can have some sort of limited act interaction, and that'll be sufficient. But on the other hand, social gatherings are, are dangerous, or uh, there's a real, um, I, I, as I was driving here, you see the billboards, and, and I understand the purpose of them, and I'm not disputing that. But as Christians, we understand the bigger picture. There is a far more serious danger that can happen from the neglect of the word of God. Number one, for those who have not heard it, have not heard the gospel, that the gospel that churches are tasked to, to preach and to spread. And number two, for those that have heard the gospel, there is a danger of turning away from that and, and, and falling back from that, of neglecting, as the manner of some is, that assembling, that that. The, the gathering of the saints, even if it's not in the physical building, but spiritually and in prayer and in purpose and in common working together. 
so that, that were some of the, the thoughts that were kind of going in through my mind, and it's, it's a large chapter to read for a, a Sunday afternoon a service, and I, I don't intend, um, unless the Lord moves otherwise, um, to, to, to go through everything here. But I wanted us just to consider the whole message here. First of all, the, um, that final argument of, of Christ being the superior sacrifice and what that means for us as the, the motivation and the push forward and then these instructions about drawing near to God, holding fast to his word, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, followed by the serious warning that falls the, that um, if we sin willfully, we'll talk about that a little bit with the Lord's help. And then finally, the, that encouragement, final encouragement where, where the apostle reminds them of what they've already gone through. So this chapter 10, it's, it's a large chapter, but it's that kind of building of that final, all of what's gone before in, in, in the epistle to the Hebrews. And I really think the other thing the Lord drew me to this chapter is we've been talking lately too, um, how should we be preparing the church for persecution when it comes and as it comes? And, and um I know we're going through the book of Revelations and, and, and uh, all the things that are happening in the end times. I don't know where we are really in that in terms of whether we're five years out, ten years out, one year, two months. The Lord knows that completely, perfectly. But it has always been appropriate. It's always been not only appropriate, it's always been incumbent, important for the church to be prepared as this instruction is here, too. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Every generation of Christians, of those that love the Lord and his appearing, has always been looking forward to the day and seeing it approach. They don't know exactly when it is coming, but this church 2,000 years ago, they could clearly see it was coming. How much more so, here we are 2,000 years later, we can see that day approaching. And what should we be doing? How should we be preparing? Um, if, if we have been slumbering or um, not focused on what we, have, we ought to have been focused on, maybe this time, the, the whole pandemic and all that, the rapid changes that have resulted as a, uh, that have come out of that can be used for good to wake us up and to, to make us ask, how are we preparing? How are we building each other up? How are we drawing near and holding fast? to the one Jesus Christ because there's a great deal to be encouraged about when when we think you know the difference between shadows and the image the difference between dim uh, foreshadowings that the, the the saints in the Old Testament had versus what we have now the clear light and the day that we walk in in Jesus Christ and um that's how the chapter opens, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. I think we all understand that intuitively, what, what, what the, the picture is of here. And, and it's interesting how you can tell some things from a shadow. My uh, littlest one, he, can, he knows shadows now. He can figure out whose shadow is whose and what, which one's daddy's and which one's his. And it's fun. Uh, but he can do that because he knows you know, who the who that the shadow is cast from. He, he can relate that to himself. He can relate that to those people around him. But it's not. Obviously, the shadow is not the person. And in the same way, 
what they had in the Old Testament, those, those yearly sacrifices, that continual coming again and again and again, was not the thing itself. And it was an image, it was a picture, but it did not have the power. It didn't, have, it didn't really solve any of the problem. They had to come again. There was a purpose. They had to remember their sins in doing this. And they had to come again and again to, 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 to offer up those sacrifices. But all of that pointed, all of it was just the barest outline of the one who is the ultimate sacrifice, the one who has dealt with it. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This is one of my favorite verses, and there's so much in this verse. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. To me, it, it just it wraps up the whole experience the way my experience with the Lord ought to be. That offering, the one thing that he did that one time that I believe on, that I continually come back to, that I continually focus on, is my means of sanctification, is the thing that perfects me, that makes me complete, that gives me hope. Because if I look at myself apart from Christ, apart from uh, on the basis of my own efforts and workings, it doesn't amount to much. But only as I look to that one offering, I'm perfected. And I am being sanctified. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The, the manner, the nature of that one sacrifice, the, the writer dwells on it here. That, that it, it was a willingness, a laying down. This Jesus Christ who was part of, is part of the Godhead from time immemorial. And just it's clear as, as this passage goes on, as he quotes from Psalms, I come to do thy will, O God. Christ, who was with God from time past, voluntarily laid down his life in a sacrifice for you and for me, came and gave up all that he had and became, Philippians 2, became of nothing, uh, of no account, just a, a man like you and I. And uh, on the basis of that, willingness by that will by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all the, the, the older I get the more I understand that this yes this happens in the heavenlies this is something that has happened uh, um, God has accounted it, it, it it's in his, his heavenly economy that I am justified but it is something that's a present reality here and now that I am being made holy as I am conformed to that, as, 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 um, as the Holy Spirit nudges me and as I respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting to become more like Christ, to, to be sacrificed in the same way. I come to do thy will today, dear Lord, as I serve, as I am obedient to your calling, to your will. That's how God is working out this sanctification in me, this, this perfecting, this this on the basis of that one-time offering. It's beautiful how, you know, it's a continuing thing, but it also has happened to us in the past. We have been cleansed from an evil conscience. All of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, all of us who have identified with him through baptism, we've been sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. It has happened. And, and that is a source of great encouragement to me, too, that I have identified with Christ. 
And on the basis of that, I can hold fast, not by the amount of power and exertion that I can put into it, how, how uh, much I can clench, but no, as I trust the hand that holds me, the one that sustains me, that who holds to him, uh, by him is held, as the Zion Sharp 177 says. That is how we're able to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Then, after knowing all that about the sacrifice of Christ, his sufficiency, um, the, 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 the surpassing greatness of that, now, let's consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, what does the Lord want me to do? How does he want me to, to, to serve him? Exhort one another. Assemble, get together, encourage one another. And do it more and more as you see Christ's approaching, coming nearer and nearer and nearer. That's the context of this, of this passage here. It's not something you just take and put by itself. It's on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That great sacrifice, that surpassing great sacrifice, that now we can work out, we can do these things. Because following that is, is a serious warning too. And it's a warning that, that if you kind of skim over it, you might go, whoa, this is, I'm walking on a tightrope now. That's, um, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You might read that and think, well, if I sin once as a Christian, that's it for me. I, the, the, the blood of Jesus doesn't cover anything or doesn't do anything for me anymore. And, and that statement is not true either. That it is on the basis of that sacrifice, the basis of the blood that he has shed, that I can turn back, I can repent, I can realize the error of my ways, even as a Christian, as one who, is, who has identified and is walking with him. On the basis of that sacrifice and that shed blood, that I can re-enter the Holy of Holies, come before his throne again and, and, and plead for that acceptance and know that it is granted in Christ Jesus. I think the thing to, to recognize and understand here in this serious warning is that word willfully. And that word willfully is, uh, I think it's, it's well, it's a good choice. It was, uh, the translator says they translated, I, I think it captures that. It's full of your own will, willfully. Uh, when someone does something willfully, they do it with disregard for whatever the consequences are. I've decided to do that, I'm going to do that. And to, to me, that does not speak to a, a one-time thing. Even though sin, in, 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 its, in, in its truest sense, it's, it's ultimately all of it is willful. It's our will. I mean, we can't just blame it on other things or just label it as something that's not sin, like a mistake or something like that. All sin at some, at some level involves our will, either of neglect or ignorance, willful ignorance, as you've heard the term. But this, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, speaks to me of a disregard, of a willful, of a following of my own will and my own way to an end that will result in the blood of Christ really have no, having no more effect. And um, if, even if Christ were sacrificed again for me, it would do nothing because I'm following my own will, I'm doing my own thing. And uh, ultimately, the description he gives here is very clear. Someone who once was sanctified Verse 29, right? 
trodden under the, the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing hath de done despite unto the Spirit of grace. That's the picture of someone who, who was in a position once of communion, of sanctification, had tasted God's goodness, chapter 6 of Hebrews, and then turned from it. And that, ultimately, it's, it's, it's just an act of the will, of a continuous, willfully pushing away of God's Holy Spirit. We do not need to fear. As Christians, as those that, that have been sanctified by the blood of Christ, on the one hand, someone would say, well, once that's happened, there is no possibility that you could ever lose what you had. And, and when I read passages like this and other warnings in Second Peter, etc., and uh, I don't believe that. But equally the other side, it's not a matter of just my will alone of, of holding on. God does sustain me. He provides the grace, the, the, the needed grace. I just need to draw near. I need, just need to realize how close he is to me, how much he loves me. And that that can do so much, that can wipe the, the, the slate clean in so many ways, uh, can restore and renew. But it's a serious warning. And, and I mean, look at even the context. After that, 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 that um, the exhortation to, to um, assemble, to provoke, to, uh, to, to, be, to be in care and contact and communion with other saints, then he moves to the serious warning. It speaks to me, of, of, again, of the, of the gravity of that instruction in verse 25, that, that the alternative to doing that is this willful turning away and of neglecting of what's important and, 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 and God's will concerning me. The final part of the chapter here is an is a encouragement. Again, the, the, the writer circles back and, and tells them to look at their own past experience. Verse 32 on, call to remembrance the former days. And these believers to whom this book, this epistle is written in, the, in the, that first century, they had gone through some hard times already. They had experienced probably more than you or I, I'm, I'm pretty sure more than you or I, except maybe a few uh, in our midst that have been through <clears throat> persecution for their faith. They had experience. They were made a gazing stock. means they were a spectacle, um, verse 33, because of their testimony. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, they had a hard time and they were publicly exposed for their belief in Christ, maybe within um, the Jewish community, and by their association with the writer of this epistle and the other, uh, those other uh, um, leaders of the church, they actually had to experience some economic hardship too. You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. So they had been through some of this. And, and that also tells me too that we can go through things, we can endure them by God's grace, but when those times are past, we can forget about things we can turn from we can be tempted to look back and think it's easier to go back to what we had before the law etc and the apostle had to remind them of what had already happened and the great reward and that it really only fully comes once we reach the end of this life once we achieve that blessed end by God's grace of, of being faithful to him to the end the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. It is to the end. And 
I mean, that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for my children. That's my prayer for every one of us is that as we have begun in him, we would, we would continue. That's his prayer for us. That's his, his desire for us. That's his will for us. We can be confident of that. And there is nothing and, and no one that can separate us from that. No circumstances, a turn of events in the world, government mandate, whatever it is, nothing can separate us from that. We heard that clearly this morning in Isaiah 40, that there is a great, awesome, powerful God who has made and formed everything and, and uh, who holds the, the nations as nothing. Based on the promises he's given us, the evidence he's already given us in Jesus Christ, in his shed blood, in his resurrection, we can be of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So what does this mean here and now in 2021 for you and for me? I think we are always at a point of decision. We may be fooled into thinking that it's not a point of decision, that, that we'll just bide our time and circumstances will change and things will go on and then things will get easier, or whatever it is. But we are always at a point of decision whether we continue to press into God's kingdom, to persevere, to be faithful, or whether we start to look backwards and go down that willful path, the, the sin willfully path. And there is always that point of decision. And it's not, um, it's not some great burden that's being placed on it. It's the very nature of human existence that God has given us a will to be exercised day by day in him. But the good news is, as we conform our will more and more to God's will, as he shapes us more and more, there is a, an ease, uh, uh, um, just like a, as you would use a tool more uh, skillfully and more um, and with greater effect, as we are used more and more in that way, we become more useful in his hands and it becomes easier to submit. We become more um, aligned with his purposes, uh, more sure of, of, of our destiny, of, our, of, our, uh, of all the promises. That's the good news, is that as, as we are sanctified, as we are made more complete and perfect for his purposes, he, um, he completes us in so many ways. It's all there in Christ. Uh, this is a, a large chapter. I've given you the, this high-level view of it. But I wanted to encourage you uh, through the Lord and by his spirit that there is a great promise given to us already in Christ Jesus we simply need to hold fast to it. We serve a great and awesome God. Um, and, and the more I read scripture, the more I see in my own life, the more I see in the lives of others who are faithful to him, the more I see, yes, he will preserve me to that blessed end as I trust in him. But I have a point of decision here and now and today. And you do too, my friend outside of Christ. Even more so, you have a point of decision if you have not fully submitted yourself to, to, to God and to his will. May the Lord bless his word. Um, 
may he call, for those of us that, that are believers that have professed him, may he help us to call to remembrance those, those former days or the, those times of victory, those, those moments where, where um, we could see clearly and, and, and we could see his working and help us to see that that is the continued path. And for those that are outside of Christ, those that um, have not embarked on this great journey, I pray that you would see the consequences, that the seriousness of turning your back, that of following your own will and going your own way. May the Lord bless his word.